All right, guys, good to see everybody. Uh, welcome to the Village Church. If you're first time here, we're really glad you made it. I'm one of the pastors here. My name is B, and I'll be giving the Word of God today. Uh, we'll continue to run through the minor prophets. And as Pastor Dan and Pastor Larry continue to echo, uh, it's not called the minor prophets because they're inferior or lesser. It's because they're shorter than the major prophets. And today we will be in the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. If you could turn your Bible there or your app, whatever you like to use, please turn to Haggai chapter 1. Verse 1, or you can look up here with me. Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Okay. And uh, today's title is called uh, Priorities, a Conflict of Interest. Okay. So today's book is about priorities, the priorities of God. The Word of God reads this. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Let me say that one more time. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And he's talking about the temple. And the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and in all their labors. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord of hosts, God, you are in charge. You are in charge of the heavens and the oceans. You are in charge of politics. You are in charge of our communities. And you are in charge of our little lives. And I thank you that you are in charge of Sunday morning service. We thank you, Lord, that you gather us here as your people. 
And you look at us and you say, my people, my people. No matter what we have brought to the table this morning, you call us your own. May we leave our baggage and our burdens and our worries at your feet, for you are in charge and you will take care of these. Restore our priorities this morning, O God, so that we may worship you and we may have a deeper relationship with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we jump into the message this morning, I want to give you a quick historical backdrop and context of what's going on in today's book. Some of you guys already know who wrote the book, right? A dude named Haggai. He's a prophet. And he recorded four messages around 520 B.C. This is 18 years after the Jews returned from Babylon. They were the first wave of Jews returning from exile. They were held captive by the Babylonians. And Haggai is exhorting these people to finish what they began 16 years ago, to finish the temple. And the temple was a significant place because it was where God's presence fully dwelled. Now, some people still believe that about the church building, right? This place is more sacred, more holy, more important than all other buildings. We don't believe that anymore. But back in the Old Testament, it was true. God's temple was everything. And if the temple was empty, if the house of the Lord is unfinished as an empty temple, then this signifies that there was an empty heart of worship in the people. Empty temple equals empty heart of worship. And this is why Haggai implored the people to finish this temple. That's why it broke his heart. Where are we uh, during the time of Haggai's writing? It's a time when the people of Judah, the Jews, were very vulnerable because they had just returned from captivity, as I mentioned. And they were discouraged. And that's probably why they didn't want to finish the temple. Because they were weary and they were just trying to get their life back together. And I'm sure some of you have been there. You're trying to get your life back together. It's hard to come to church on Sunday. It's hard to pray. It's hard to read the Bible. Because you're just trying to get your life back together. You ever been there? Well, these people know that too. They're just trying to get their life back together. And so finishing a temple was not a priority. It was not an imperative. It was not the main thing. It was not the main thing. You guys have heard the saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And they would derail from that. The main thing was the temple. And, um, and Haggai is a very interesting book, no matter what your opinion is. It's a very interesting book, but it is unique. There's one thing that makes this book really, really unique, or I shouldn't use the degree really, really, but it makes it truly unique. In all the other prophets, in all the other prophetic books, the people hear, the people listen, but they sit on their hands. They remain idle or disobedient and rebellious. But in the book of Haggai, Haggai speaks. The Lord spoke and everyone obeyed. People got off their lazy butts and their home decor And they went up the hill, and they started chopping down wood together to build the house 
of the Lord. That made me think about our Sunday service, you know. Pastor Dan has been preaching some magnificent messages. I praise God for it. But you know what I thought about? What have I done with it? I listen every Sunday. I come to church every Sunday. I hear a sermon every Sunday. And I say, man, that was fire. That was dope. That was awesome. But what did I do with it? And I'm sure Pastor Dan and Larry and myself, we feel the same way. We want to hear more people say, uh, I did something with the message, right? Not great message, B, or great message, Dan, or wonderful message, Larry. But we want to hear more people come back the next Sunday and say, hey, guess what I did with the message? Guess what I did with it? Right? And so when Haggai spoke, what made it unique was that everyone listened. They did something with it. Right? And that's an aim that we have every Sunday. But I just want to remind you guys that when we hear the word of God together, it must be with a mindset that we're going to do something about it. Even if we fail, we're going to try and come back and say, you know what? Pastor Dan and myself and Larry would love to hear, you know what? I tried to do what the word of God told me to do. And I failed. <laughs> we would love to hear that more than just great message and you move on with your life, you know? So I just want to remind you guys of that. And that's something that Haggai brought to light. And I'm guilty of it too. I'm only concerned about preaching a good message. I'm guilty of that. I'm only concerned about presenting a good word. But I'm not concerned about, well, are they going to do something? Are they going to actually obey it? I don't even think about that sometimes. And, and, and that's, that's, that's a, a lousy mentality for a pastor, right? So I just want to remind you guys uh, while we're here and also the essential parts of Haggai. You know, this book is about finishing the temple. It's about uh, a priority that God has set forth. But these people procrastinated. And procrastination is something I'm really good at. <laughs> procrastination could very well be the greatest ill of the American people. When I think about my personal struggle with procrastination, it makes me sick. Um, but unfortunately, I haven't done much about it. How ironic, right? <laughs> um, I have priorities, right? I get deadlines. I get deadlines at church. I get deadlines in other endeavors. And, and these deadlines are there so that I can take advantage of the early notices. But what do I do? I make an excuse to wait another hour or another day to start taking it seriously. But that is the purpose of a deadline, right? So I can take advantage of the time I have beforehand to set a schedule and a game plan. But what do I do? I procrastinate. I make an excuse. And this is similar to what's going on in today's book, the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai communicates a similar or the very same message, a priority of putting first things first, that God must be first. And if God says it's important, it's important. If God says it's not important, it's not important. If God loves it, then we as his people must love it too. If God hates it, then we as his people must abhor and deny it as well. But these people have drifted away from this truth. And they live with misplaced priorities. With misplaced priorities. But God is faithful. And God is persistent. And he is relentless. 
And he sent Haggai to his people. And he tells them, I have unfinished business with you. It's time to finish rebuilding the temple. I've unfinished business with you. It's time to refinish building the temple. Now that sounds like work to you and I, but that is grace. It is grace that God gives us work, that God gives us tasks. When my father gave me tasks, he didn't just give anybody a task. He gave me a special task because I'm his son. Because I'm his. So when God gives us tasks, we may see it as chore or a burden, but it's grace. It's a blessing. I want you guys to see that. It's a blessing. It is grace that God says, come to church on Sunday. That God says, crack open your Bible. That God says, give your money. That God says, give your time. It's a blessing. That God says, be, preach the sermon. Because sometimes I'm like, man, it's an assignment. Right? It's an assignment. But it's a blessing. I want you guys to see that. And uh, God tells these people, uh, it's time to finish rebuilding the temple. It's a message of priority. And uh, the main idea in today's message and what I see in this book is God is determined to restore his place of worship. God is determined to restore our place of worship. He was determined to restore the temple that Solomon built. He was determined to restore his people's heart. And he is determined to restore our place of worship, namely the church. We don't go to church, we bring the church. Because we know that we are the church now. And uh, God understands that uh, our heart of worship, our place of worship, affects every other part of our lives. What we treasure in our heart is what we trust to bring us life. And the people in Haggai's time are very similar to us. They were into real estate. <laughs> you know, They were into uh, developing their homes, decorating, just like we are today. They were just trying to get their life together. But God says, that's not going to get your life together. It's rebuilding the temple. Because when you rebuild the temple, I will be there. I will show up, and then your life will be put back together. Wow. See, Haggai is not a book about fitting God in. God will be first. Everyone here has enough time and money to give and serve God. We must decide. Haggai's message is blunt. We don't just fit God into life. He is life. You know, Francis Chan, another Asian speaker, if you've ever heard of him, uh, he talks about how many people, when they trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, uh, it's not what we make it out to be. It's more like someone driving down the street seeing Jesus on the side of the road and saying, Jesus, jump in. And you don't offer Jesus the driver's seat. You don't offer Jesus the passenger seat. You don't even offer Jesus the back seat. You say, Jesus, get in the trunk. (laughs) And so he's more like a spare tire, right? He just fits into your life, the car. 
And, and all the people in Haggai's time had done that. And we do that too. When we trust in Jesus sometimes, we say, Jesus, just get in the trunk. And I'm going to pull you out when I have a flat tire. I'm going to pull you out when life doesn't work out. But you will not be first. You will not rule. You will not reign. You will not have supremacy over my life. And if that's you, then this is an opportunity for us to repent and put our trust in God again and again. God is determined to restore our own homes. God is determined to restore the house of the Lord in this story. But I want to give two reasons why we forget to do this. While we are determined to restore our own homes over the house of the Lord. And one is we are derailed by distractions. We are derailed by distractions or poor excuses. Uh, When God says in verse 5, let me read verse 4 first. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell on your panel homes while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In verse 7, he says it again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And the people move. You know, we need to think about our priorities. We, will, we need to pray that God will help us say no to... No to more often to, um, to things that are less important, yes, to the best things. Because the enemy of the best is not the worst. What is the enemy of the best? It's the good enough. Right? The enemy of the best is not the worst. That's obvious. The enemy of the best is the very good. And the people of Haggai were distracted, not by the worst, because making your house look really nice is not a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? Building a home for your family is not an inherently evil thing. That is a good project. But compared to the temple, it was, it was just good enough or very good. And I think all of us have that in our lives. I want to please my wife, Nikki. But compared to spending time with the Lord, it's not the most important thing sometimes. In fact, by spending time with the Lord, I can please Nikki, my wife, without expecting something back. (laughs) You feel me? You feel me, people? And so, I get derailed by distraction. I say, I got all these new priorities now as a married person, right? Right? And God continues to move lower and lower on my priority list. These people spent 16 years in procrastination. They had 16 years to build this temple. And year after year, they let it go by. They did not do it. And I think uh, the main reason is we believe, and they they believe, that life revolves around us. That life is about me. This is an elementary thought. This is an elementary teaching. And I know you're not children. But we have to be reminded every Sunday, life is not about me. It's not about me. 
That's why we come here, because we have to be reminded in the Lord's house that life is not about me. And these people start to slip into a dark place. And to us, into, they sunk into this place where they believed that life was all about them. And God continued to command them to build the temple, but people disobeyed, and they went against them. They were earning money, and they were building resources. They looked pretty good on the outside, but God was not pleased. They were lacking you know, uh, one funny thing about uh, how we get derailed by distractions as Christians is sometimes how we even use spirituality to make excuses and distract us. You know, sometimes when we talk about things like serving at church or doing missions or doing um, works of uh, community help, we say things like, I haven't received a clear calling from the Lord yet to serve. You know, we say things like that. You know, God hasn't spoken to me yet, so I'm going to wait. Right? Or we say things like, I need to pray about it. And then I'll get back to you. But last time I checked, we don't pray about going to the movies. We don't pray about spending money online or at the mall. We don't, we don't wait to hear a clear calling from the Lord to, to purchase a home or a car. I don't. It's about priorities, right? It's about our priorities dictate and predicate. Our, I mean, our, all our choices are predicated upon our priorities. Is what I'm trying to say. Our priorities keep our head on a swivel on good sales and the next deal. We put God's work aside to do what we want. And we even spiritualize it. God hasn't called me yet. Even right now, you may not be a Christian. And you are saying, I don't don't feel God I haven't experienced him yet. I'm not convinced. And there are many excuses in your heart that are holding you back from trusting in Jesus, from trusting in God today. I want to remind you, if you're not a Christian, even if you are a Christian, that God is over your life. And whether you want to accept him as Lord doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. We think we have control over our destiny, and it's never happened in history. Because these people thought the same thing. I have control over my life. But in verse 12, we didn't get to read it today, but in verse 12, God sent the voice, God spoke to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetil, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. And they began to build and they began to work. Imagine that scene. Everybody has a nine-to-five job. Everybody has a family. Everybody has priorities. Everybody has responsibilities. But the whole community dropped everything to start building this temple. 
It's very similar to what happened this past week during VBS. I saw a lot of you guys drop everything in your life to serve this community and to serve these children and to care. I was very encouraged. And I'm going to be frank, I only came out one time this week because I didn't want to drop everything. I didn't want to drop everything for one week and serve. But I saw you guys doing that. I was so encouraged. And Haggai, I saw a whole people do this. You know, when I think about the book Haggai and I think about the small glimpse of heaven that I saw in VBS, I'm like, what would it look like if all the village, not just dropped everything literally and just, you know, sang worship songs all day, but that, what would our life look like if we started dropping a, little, a couple more things to spend time with one another, to encourage one another, to call one another, to email one another, to text one another, or have coffee with one another. What would that look like? And I know some of our community groups are taking a break this summer, and that's great. But when the community groups regroup and uh, re- reconvene, what would it look like for you to drop something one night a week? And it's going to hurt. It's going to cost something. But to be a church, to be in worship, And as I continue to think about my excuses, the things that derail me, the distractions that derail me, um, I start to ask myself these questions. I'd like to ask you before I move on. What is my ultimate priority in life? What is my ultimate priority? What is my master? Another thing I began to question is I say it's Jesus. But does my day-to-day schedule support this claim? Does my day-to-day, hour-by-hour schedule support this answer? Whatever you say it is, money, whatever you say it is, your job, your family, Jesus, does my day-to-day schedule support this answer? And another question I began to ask myself is, if the answer is not Jesus as my ultimate priority. What must I do to replace my life's habits to conform with what God desires? If if I want something I've never had, I have to do things I've never done. And I don't think everybody in this village was a carpenter or knew how to build a temple. But they were willing to learn. And not everybody in this room knows how to follow Jesus knows how to read the Bible, knows how to be a community, but are you willing to learn? Are you willing to help one another out get there? Because I'm sure they made a lot of mistakes building that temple. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because I don't know how to build anything. You can ask my wife, Nikki. I can't even build Ikea furniture. I can't. I stink at it. I I stink at following directions. Okay? But it, it takes the whole community to get there. And if you want your ultimate priority, it doesn't have to be your ultimate priority, but if you want your ultimate priority to be God, to be church, then we can get there together. But it has to be together. It can't be just half of the room or a quarter of the room. It has to be all together. And that's why God was so upset, because these people lived in the paneled homes, and they didn't worry about God's house. And God, I'm telling you, your, your individual and personal homes matter. But this is the home that God cares about. 
this is what matters to God. How we interact and how we um, have interpersonal relationships. Second thing I want to share very quickly. uh, What else ruined the plan of God? Uh, What else distracted them? Uh, They were derailed by discouragement. They were not only derailed by distraction, they were derailed by discouragement. Verse 3 of today's text shows us that uh, they just came out of captivity. They, just, they were trying to get their life together. Um, verse 6 shows us that they had so much and harvested little. God says, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You know, these people were discouraged. And yes, God was the source of their discouragement, but they were discouraged nevertheless. They were working hard, and they were not getting uh, their due return. And God is showing them that. That they were discouraged. And the discouraged is because discouragement came from not putting first things first. Have any of you guys tried to serve God and failed miserably? And maybe that's why you're not putting first things first. You have tried to follow God. You have tried to do the Christian thing, but you're not good at it. Well, join the club. No one's good at it. No one knows what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. Okay, I'm being pretty... Self-flattering. I don't know what I'm doing all the time. And these people were discouraged because they were probably pretending like they knew they were, what they were doing. But they didn't. They ignored God. And they were building their own homes. If you remember the story of Peter, the Apostle Peter, he followed Jesus for three years. Remember that? And when Jesus called Peter, what did he call Peter to do? Be a fisher of men, right? You're going to rake men into the kingdom of God. And so Peter left his life as a fisherman and began to seek people and win them to God. But we know, some of us know that Peter betrayed Jesus and literally left him hanging on the cross. Jesus rose again. And he appeared to Peter, not once, but twice. But you know where Jesus found Peter the third time? Discouraged in the ocean on a boat, fishing for fish. What derailed Peter is what derails many of us. It's failure. For 16 years... These people had an opportunity to finish what they had started. And for 16 years, they walked by that temple and they reminisced about the glory years. Does that sound like anything in your experience? I feel like anybody who has undertaken the work for the cause of Christ has felt that kind of discouragement. The sense that your work seems so paltry minuscule, irrelevant, and insignificant compared to other people's work or compared to your former work. 
I've been a Christian for almost, no, I have been a Christian for over 20 years now. And there are days where I catch myself reminiscing about the days when I was really close to God. Like retreats I went to and, 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 and revivals I attended. And I remember feeling really woke for Jesus. You know, like, oh, that were the good old days, you know. But I can never get those days back. That's what the enemy tells me. I can't reclaim those days. We're derailed by discouragement. I think Village Church, we've only been here for about 10 years. But maybe you've also experienced such discouragement trying to serve the church. Someone here, someone who used to attend this church rejected you and and. Reminded you, you're not enough. You're not going to get this done. One of my more, more recent uh, moments of discouragement uh, was uh, last year. Uh, I have a, a, a childhood friend named Terry. And he was going through bouts of depression, and he wasn't himself. And we have a mutual friend named Devin. And my friend Devin called me. And said, hey, have you heard about Terry? He's been a while now. He's been acting weird. And I said, no, uh, I haven't heard about it. But he said, hey, B, I really think you should call him and cheer him up. Because, you know, you're a pastor. That's your job. <laughs> That's your job. And I said, you know what? My friend Devin is not even a Christian. And neither is Terry. And, they, and he said, you should call Terry up and see how he's doing. So I said, sure, I'll get to it. One week went by, I didn't call him. Two weeks went by, I didn't call him. A whole month went by, I didn't call him. And then Devin's birthday rolls around, and I call him to wish him happy birthday. And Devin reminds me again, hey, did you call Terry? He's not doing well, he's getting worse. Can you call him? And I said, sure, I'll get to it. A couple months go by, and I still don't call Terry. And the next thing I hear is, Terry committed suicide. And the next time I see him is a picture, a framed picture of him at his funeral. You know, that moment, as you can imagine, was a huge blow. Um, I was very discouraged. There are many moments in my life where I wonder... Should I keep building the house of the Lord? Should I still keep working in the church as a pastor? Sometimes I feel like it's not worth it. Sometimes I feel like somebody could do it better than me. Sometimes I feel like, what if people find out about my mistakes? But God tells the people, Take courage, work, fear not. Because in verse 13, he tells them, work, fear not, because I am with you. That's it. Work, fear not, build, because I am with you. And guys, I don't know about you, but that promise means more to me right now than anything in the whole wide world. 
that God is with me. So we must get up, we must work and fear not. Bless you. We must work and build and fear not. Not because we're the, we're the most qualified or best suited, because God is with me. God is with me. This is the only thing that has carried me when I want to quit on you and people want to quit on me. Because we all have been tempted to quit on church. Let's keep it real this morning. We look around and we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to get anything done in the city? We can't even drop one night a week to spend time with one another, you know? Like, how are we going to get anything done with these group of ragamuffins, right? Group of people who don't really give a rip. But we've got to be reminded this morning, it's not about that. It's not about those 16 years of devastation or failure. God says, get up, climb that mountain, chop down trees, and work together because I am with you. And how do we know that God is really with us? God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The spirit of Christ is with you, church. And if God didn't give up on us on the cross when he was writhing in pain and being destroyed by abandonment, why would he give up on you now? He didn't give up on them 16 years of nothingness. Why would he give up on you now? He doesn't give up on us. He continues to speak and promise, I am with you. God is in the business of restoring our worship. Restoring our place of worship. And that starts with restoring our hearts. Our hearts. Let's pray. The Lord is reminding us this morning to take courage, work, and fear not. Because you, Village Church, will build more than you can see. God promises to take your work, fill it with his glory, and make your labors worth more than you ever imagined. A million times more than you could ever imagine. God doesn't want curmudgeons working on his kingdom. He wants free and joyful laborers. And so he promises us to stir us up to love so that we may work in joy. I don't know what the work of the Lord for you is this morning. And that's, that's the mysterious part of following Jesus and serving God. You can't find it in a verse. 
You can't just find it in the Bible sometimes what you should do next. You have a million and one options this morning on how to serve God. Sometimes you simply have to know the heart of God in order to do, in order to know what to do next. Sometimes you simply have to know the heart of God in order to know what to do next. So right now, I just want to give you an opportunity to go to God and God and say, God, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what my priorities should be, but you do. I know my priority is family and work and bills, even to rest. But what good are those priorities if they're not to worship you? If they're not in order to get to know you? What good is my work, my serving my family and coming to church if it's not a worshipful experience? Oh Lord, we ask that you restore the hearts of the village church so that this place and this community will labor together in joy and peace and harmony. And where there is unforgiveness, Holy Spirit, you would draw, draw us to the light so that we can face one another and forgive the harm and the hurts we have done. If it is disagreement, Holy Spirit, show us how to speak in grace and truth. If it is just simply awkwardness, Holy Spirit, help us to get over ourselves and to bless one another and encourage one another anyway and laugh at ourselves. Whatever it may be, Spirit of God, you are with us. You are with us. Beloved, rest in that promise as you get back up from your failure. God is with you. Work. Labor. Get up and try again. Even if it's been 16 years, Um, of ignoring the problem. Try again.